Welcome to Cyber Synapse, the podcast that's creating connections through cyberspace with candid conversations about cyber and tech-related issues with your host, Kath Nibbs. Do you know your GDPR from your ISO? Is your business cyber secure? If not, give agency a call on 03455 760 999. You can visit their website at www.theagency.com. An agency is with an I, not a Y. Welcome to this week's episode. Um, This week I'm joined by Justin Sinceri. He is uh, also a podcaster and he runs a podcast called The Polyvagal Theory. Um, I first met Justin on Twitter um, as he started out and... Um, I think because I'm forever scanning social media for people who talk about polyvagal theory in the way that uh, I'm kind of obsessed with it, it was brilliant to come across him. And ever since then, we've kind of talked on lots of different platforms. Um, And I am an avid listener of his uh, polyvagal podcast. And I share this around with lots and lots of my friends um, and teachers and and basically anybody who will listen, um, apart from my children, as you'll hear so in the um, podcast. What's fabulous about this episode? Well, almost everything. There's glitches, it goes wrong, um, my dog interrupts at one point and I have to jump up and let uh, her out of the shed because she's about to break into her howling singing. Um, And it's those moments throughout the podcast that are absolutely brilliant if you're watching the visual. Um, So if you are listening to the audio, um, if you're really interested in how the polyvagal theory works, have a watch of the audio because there are moments where when the glitch happens, you you can see the kind of dysregulation between both Justin and myself. You can see what happens when people get caught caught up in uh, slight audio delays um, and really how how dysregulating um, this kind of media can actually be. Um, The topic yeah, the topic of the conversation begins. We we start off with the polyvagal theory because actually that's what we wanted to do. And we kind of transition into talking about um, how having this language actually helps people, helps clients, helps teachers. We talk about what a rupture is, what a repair is. Um, and obviously when, when you watch the glitch, you'll hear uh, and, and you'll see how Justin actually says, you know, where did you go? And when I came back, I continued to talk because I hadn't been aware that it had frozen um and then what we have to do is we have to kind of get back in synchrony with each other and you know as I I looked back doing the video I was just absolutely amazed that these moments sit there and I think what I might do is use this as teaching examples because they're they're absolutely spot on for what happens between mother and baby uh teacher and pupil Uh, I, I just think that it's really good um we veered off into Uh, what was it biohacking and how he talked to Stephen about this because biohacking is uh, quite the popular word at the moment and one of the things I'm aware that Stephen does say quite a lot so this is Stephen Porges by the way um, who is the uh, theorist behind polyvagal theory he he regularly has to correct people um, and I've seen this in training um, I've seen this at workshops I've heard it on his podcast when he's on podcasts that lots and lots of people are slightly misinterpreting what the polyvagal theory is and they tend to talk about this vagus nerve as though the vagus nerve needs hacking or repairing or healing and there's nothing wrong with it it's a nerve it's a 
um, to quote to quote Stephen, it's a conduit of information, um, which is uh, what we use for neuroception. Basically, it's like the motorway uh, example. Now, during the podcast, I talk to Justin and talk about the coloured zones. I am going to put that out as a video so that people can see what I'm talking about. Um, because I think it's really helpful that if I'm nattering on about coloured zones and mixed states that, you know, maybe maybe you might want to know that. Um, we get on to how the polyvagal theory kind of gets involved with devices and so on, because that's actually where I'm coming from. And without giving away my theory too much, we kind of get into um, how it's difficult to see what's going on non-verbally or how it's difficult to see, you know, for example, here, jazz hands, um, what's going on when people are sitting down in front of a screen. Um, and yet when you're playing on, for example, Xbox and you're doing Xbox Live, you can actually pick up on the prosody of what people are saying. Um, we talk about kind of what it's like to be bullied in terms of how that's very representative of trauma, having no, no escape whatsoever. So the last half an hour of the podcast is as far as I'm concerned, absolutely amazing. Um, we we transitioned so beautifully into what I can only say is, um, yeah, two therapists chatted. Um, we kind of talked about how, how the state of play of the world is at the moment in terms of what we deal with on a, a daily basis and how quite often, you know, we we can see children who come in who are um, blamed, shamed, um, how, they're, how they're kind of... <sighs> labeled labeled with disorders how that might not be the problem um it's the context it's what's happening for the children it's the story behind them um that both both of us but justin primarily gives loads and loads of beautiful parenting examples and we kind of give you some ideas about what it's like to both fail and and hashtag win as a parent um but also how being self-aware can be really painful um, how, and I think Justin uh, actually said at one point, you know, it's, it would be so easy to give into your sympathetic nervous system. And actually what we're saying there is sometimes it would be, it feels so good to just go into rage, but to stop yourself from doing it is the key. It's that stop think moment that, you know, we, we ask children to do. Uh, and it's really difficult for us as parents. Um, this is probably and I, and I say a lot, I know this is a good episode, it's one of my favourites, but actually I think just how we transitioned, you know, with no prompting, this really was a conversation that evolved, it was very organic, and, you know, at the end it really, really was just a conversation about um, young people and how how much pain they are in in the world today, and most of us adults really, really don't understand that because we didn't have this added feature of um digital media and and what they're kind of under pressure from now um yes we had it difficult because that's what all children say it's what all adults say when they reach adulthood but here we are it's just a different way of different way of being a different way of hearing things and hopefully this will be a really good episode for you too as always please head over to Patreon and, you know, you can be a subscriber. Um, and if you would like to just rate and subscribe on iTunes, please do tell people about this for the YouTube channel. And for those of you that really want to see uh, the polyvagal theory in action, please do watch the, the YouTube video because it's just absolute gold in terms of the moments that happen. Um, 
and I shall see you next time. Have a good week. Welcome to Cyber Signups. This week, I'm joined by Justin Sinceri. Um, he is an LMFT, and for those of you who don't know what that means, that's Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist, which means actually he has a piece of paper that says he can do his job. But the reason you're here today is because you are um, also a podcaster, and you do a podcast which I've been throwing about left, right and centre to people. It's called mm-hmm. the Polyvagal Podcast. And the reason I've been um, kind of saying to people, oh, you need to download this one and you need to pass it to a teacher is because you are one of the only other people I have come across so far that is a fanatic of this polyvagal theory. So, welcome. Thank you so much for asking me. I think we're going to have a lot of fun. I listen to your podcast as well, and I love the passion that you bring to pretty much everything you do, it seems like. Like, I feel like I can definitely meet you on that level of, like, when I, when I first learned about polyvagal theory, I just, I could not stop and I, I've just been consuming and consuming absolutely everything I possibly can. Yes. Well, everything I do goes back to this polyvagal theory. And I've, I've, learned, mm. to, uh, I've learned to explain it to young children. I've learned to explain it to mm-hmm. adults. Um, I use it for eating disorders. I use it for anxiety problems. Everything that comes into the therapy room, I, you know, I've got a whiteboard and out it comes. In fact, what I've recently done is started to do a bit of a picture. And I'll, I'll explain to you. I don't, I don't necessarily use your ladder metaphor, although I very much like it, um, because I've got into basically stealing lots of other people's stuff, twisting yeah. it my own. Well, the, the ladder thing is from Deb Dana. That's Deb not Dana, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's, I can't think of a better metaphor, but the ladder really does kind of sum it up. Yeah, so I've, I've actually got um, a picture at work, and I've got, um, so I've, I've kind of colour-coded the zones. So oh, okay. So what I've got is a green zone in the middle, and then at the top I've got pretty much taken from Dan Siegel and his river of well-being. So he kind of turns the window of tolerance on its side. Mm. And in on the on the left, which would be hyper and you know going up into mobilization, that's the side at which I've got red because that corresponds to chaos. So we have lots of different words in the red zone. So they might be angry, shouting. Okay. Uh, the phrase that gets used in this country is kicking off. Oh, they're kicking off. Quite often I'll say, you know, so what what happens in this area? But before that, um, and this is where I've got the mixed states, I've actually got like a pink zone. So quite often we'll go into the pink zone, but if you're not careful, you can overstimulate yourself and end up in the red. And then. I I would like to, I haven't developed my own really nice flow chart. Um, Something I do want to do is a ladder based one that I can give away a digital version that can just give away to people. Cause I want, I want therapists to be able to bust this out on their phone and show a client. Here's the ladder Mm -hmm. just very easily. um, Just as a free resource. I just haven't gotten around to that. There's too many other things I'm doing, Um, but, but I would love to develop, um, just like what you're talking about with the mixed states and everything, because it really is like mixing colors. You know, I, you can pick, we can pick, you know, for the safe and social system, we can pick red. I don't know. And then for, um, actually let's, let's go with, uh, I don't know, green. Sure. Well, the reason I've done that is because. Is that what you put green? Yeah. In the, in the middle, for you it was the middle. Yeah. So for me, it'd be the top of the ladder. Below that would be, let's say, I don't know. What is green mixed <laughs> Yellow. Yeah, let's say it's yellow for middle, and then like a greenish yellow would be a mixed state. You know, just as an example, it's a random thing. Yeah. But I think it's a great, great, very easy visual way for people, even kids, super young kids, to visualize 
Yeah. Um, what, I, what I've done for really young kids is, is drawing on a whiteboard just like you did. And then just do like a face. So for safe and social, I'll put a face at the top, a happy face, makes mm. it very easy. And then below that, I'll put a face that is uh, a little bit more worried and anxious. And below that, an angry face. And below that, a face that's just kind of flat and numb. And, uh, you know, a seven-year-old can get that and be like, yep, that's, that's where I'm at right there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've recently been explaining it to... So quite often when I work with... I call them the dinkies. So I've noticed that Mercedes... Um, you and Mercedes actually have slightly different age groups. And, um, we do, yeah. Yeah, so I, I work with Mercedes age, your age, and the adults. So oh, okay. when I'm with what I call the dinkies, they tend to be about four, five, six. And, and what I will do is I'll bring parents in. And then as I'm engaging with the, par- uh, with the child, I'm explaining to the parent what's happening. So I'll, um, let me give you an example, actually. Last week, I was playing football with a four-year-old. And he was, he was getting himself overexcited and, then, and kind of freezing. And, and I said to her, I said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to wait until he lifts his eyes. And when I get the eye contact, then yeah. I'll record him. So we, we, were, we were kind of doing this. And I said to the mum, you know, have you noticed? She said, oh, he does this all the time. I said, and that moment of holding his breath is when he goes. I said, so that, that's what you're looking for is that fraction of a second. Nice. When he holds his breath, I said, and then that's when you need to bring him back down. So for me, that would be take him up the ladder back into his social engagement. Nice. We, we were kind of talking, and, and, and it's really interesting because parents have no idea about this kind of stuff. And, you know, neither does the average person, which is why, which is probably why I'm flinging around your podcast like, um, yeah, like a war. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. But when you explain it, they know it. Because they look at words like, yep, that's, that's what happened. That's the thing I went through. That's how I felt. And they know it. Mm-hmm. But they, don't have, they, just, they just don't have the words for it. Like I, I do a parenting group, um, parent education group. It's a four week long thing. And only this year, I think did I did implement just because it came up. I implemented the polyvagal ladder and the parents were like, we want more of that. Like that's interesting. And all you know, my content's really good. They, they benefit from it. But for this one parent, trauma was a big part of what they were going through. Yeah. So I, I just, it was like during a break, it was like a five minute break. I'm like, look here, just, just for you guys, just real quick, I'll bust this out. And the parents that were there saw that and they said, that's, that's, that applies to everything we do. Like we want more of that. So once you hear it, like it clicks and you apply it to yourself, you apply it to your parenting and it's just the words for what your body already knows, I think. Yes. Yeah. So what, I, what I, I'll give you a little bit of insight. Actually, a couple of years ago, I was at, um, called a trauma Congress, <laughs> which for me, the two words just didn't quite sit together, but it, it, it was, um, an Italian company and, mm-hmm. All I'll say is that there was um, two very well-known trauma experts, very, uh, yeah, and one of them was a little bit jet-lagged. That's all I'll say. One of them was a little bit jet-lagged and wanted to kind of talk about neurofeedback and was talking about this, that, and the other, and was lo- yeah, was actually losing his temper. And it was really interesting because I sat in a room with 2,000 other people going, oh, this is such a good example of human dysregulation. And oh, yeah, yeah. If he can be dysregulated, doesn't that give us all permission to cock it up? (laughs) (laughs) I just took it as a whole permissive exercise. And Stephen Paul has actually turned around, and this has been the one thing that stuck with me for a long, long time. He actually said, it's not going to work in the brain if it doesn't get past that gateway. And he was talking about the the cerebellum and and kind of how all of the information from the the polyvagal. Interesting. um, 
pathways. But that, that's the example that I see. I work in the school district, or the, the, yeah. not the school district, but a school district in the world. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what we see with teachers is that they are, I forgot how you put it, but um, they're down the ladder. Basically, they're in their sympathetic rep. They're, they're yelling at kids, not all of them. But, you know, like that they're modeling this behavior mm. and, they're, and they don't have the words and the insight to realize that they're in this state where they're not able to model and co-regulate, model social regulation yeah. and thinking clearly and problem solving that they're, they've dropped on the ladder. So I think the way you put it is, well, can we do it too? That's what we see with kids in the classroom is they're going to follow your lead. Yeah. Well, I am actually going to quote some of your podcast here. I think it might have been episode probably 10. 10 and 11 are the last two that you've done with Mercedes, aren't they, about the schooling. So part of, part of my job has been to go into schools. And in, in the United Kingdom, um, so I'm going to go back to something I said just before we started recording. In the United Kingdom, we are very few people who are actually trauma-informed. But I don't just mean the buzzword, trauma-informed. I mean actually understand it, embody it, and, and can explain it to others. Yeah, I'm with you, yeah. So I've, I think I know of four practitioners who actually work as psychotherapists, psychologists who are going out trying to teach. And I know of about four, maybe eight um, kind of um, coaches that are trying to go around and, and teach about trauma. That is it. You know, when I, when I look across the whole of England, we're, we're really so far behind on being trauma aware, trauma informed and then trauma applied. So I think the trauma applied bit is the bit that's missing. And often I go into schools and I'll do, you know, an introduction to attachment and trauma just to give people a little bit of a, a taster. And so often I sit with the staff saying, I know this is difficult because I'm also human. I get it wrong. I look, you know, to quote Dan Siegel, I flip my lid sometimes. I'm much, much better now um, because I've done eight years of my own personal therapy as part of my training. So there is something about I'm much, much more aware but it doesn't mean that I don't get it wrong. But what I am no. I is repair it, you know, and that's that's yeah. a big part of working with this system, isn't it? It's that people will erupt and then it's how you bring yourself back into the safe and social. Yeah, we're allowed to make mistakes. Yeah. You know, well, like, and I, I'm pretty hard on myself if I do. And as long as we're not like negligent or neglectful of like our basic ethics, like, you know, like we're allowed to make little errors as long as we repair them and have enough, you know, insight to realize what's happening within us that we, you know, maybe we said the wrong thing in therapy or whatever. But like, no one's, no teachers aren't perfect. We're not perfect. I don't get everything right. I'm. It's really kind of trial by fire with a lot of this stuff. Um, I do think that I'm taking these ideas and applying them, and I'm figuring out like this worked really well. This didn't quite click, at least for this client. You know, it's it's really like I'm doing the best I can each time. I, I know I'm getting better and better and better applying these ideas. Yeah. But yeah, I don't, no one expects anyone to be perfect, I don't think. I, well, I'm not so sure because I think sometimes, well, and I'm being sarcastic now, I think sometimes sure. the adolescents tend to think that teachers, um, and I'm just thinking of the school setting here, you know, adolescents do expect teachers to get it right all of the time. And then oh, yeah. Yeah, and they struggle when they don't. Um, so I do spend an inordinate amount of time in therapy explaining to adolescents, look, as you were growing up, these people were on pedestals. You thought nobody could get it wrong, particularly your parents. And then what happened is you hit 12, your brain changes began, and you, you started to think about the world in a very different way. And then you recognise these adults have flaws. 
Yeah, totally. I, I think, I mean, like, as on a professional level, if you tell me you're not the perfect therapist, I can accept that. And if oh, I tell you, I'm, that, that's what I mean. Yeah, that's what I mean. Uh, I know we both do the best we can. Hopefully we all do. <laughs> I just it. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> Where did you go? Interesting moment. My dog decided to start nudging me to go out. Oh, there you are. Okay. Your dog. <laughs> Sorry. No, I'm professional. I didn't do that just... Oh, yeah. That's all right. Yeah, no, it's, that's, that's what I mean on a professional level. I don't expect teachers to be perfect. Um, I do expect that teachers and therapists and pretty much anyone in a in a helping profession that we do the best, like the absolute best that we can. Mm-hmm. And if we know we fell short, we got to do better next time. I, I do expect that. Like people are trusting us yeah. to, to be competent. And so that does mean that we don't just say we're trauma-informed as a buzzword. And honestly, like for me, this all started because about a year ago, I didn't feel like I was doing a good enough job. I thought I was a good therapist. If you ask me, I'd say, yeah, I'm doing a good job. And I, I probably was, but I reached a point where I was like, I don't, I could do better. And especially when it comes to this trauma stuff um, and really the sort of like shutdown kind of stuff, the social stuff. Yeah. That's where I was like, I feel like I'm missing something here. And so I just took it upon myself to be like, all right, well, you know, what, what, am, I, what am I missing? And, and that's where it really kicked off for me was I found the missing piece in understanding what I'm seeing in session and why we're not getting more progress. Um, so I do expect people are in a professional helping capacity. Like we, yeah, we do need to be doing better yeah. daily. And if like, if, if that, that, I think it really requires me to be very honest with ourselves. And if we're not cutting it, then what, what do we got to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mine. Sorry, you're breaking up. But there's been like this double journey. So as a, Right. Uh, yeah, mine, mine's been a bit of a, 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 a similar journey in terms of um, self, self-improvement, but also um, I think it was when, when things were kind of drip-fed. So in, in my training, we had, right, well, there's, there's this, and, and I was going, but you're not telling us enough about that particular topic. Um, and it was actually during my training, um, my background is engineering, computing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I'd come over to learning about children and people, and and I'd gone off to a conference. I remember this. I'd gone off to a conference to present on um, kind of face-to-face grooming versus Facebook grooming with adolescents. This was what back in 2011. And I, I think what happened was I was at this at this conference, and people do these kind of tiny little workshops, and I thought, wow there's so much more outside of our training. So the next thing is... Oh, my God. Well, yeah. I can't, so I think, I can't agree with you more. Yeah, I think... Like, we go to school and we get a basic... I mean, really, honestly, and it, it's almost disheartening, but, you know, teachers and... I keep saying teachers because I work with teachers, but people expect us, like, you went to school, you know what you're talking about. Like, yeah, we do. But it's all the stuff after, and it's learning through doing it. That's what really, like, that's... I'm at where I'm at right now because... I didn't settle for what I got from school. Yeah. And like, you're right, those little workshops and stuff, but even like the big trainings, I always left being like, okay, that's good. But like, I know there's more and you really have to like seek it out uh, away from the buzzwords and away from the commonly accepted, like there's more than CBT. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you really have to be like, well, what else is out there? And, and that's where you'll, I think you'll find a lot of really interesting, challenging things. And that's where the somatic experiencing kicked in for me and the polyvagal theory kicked in for me. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to inter- I don't know if you 
listened to um, some, that there are some of my episodes that I kind of, um, I drop in occasionally to do with, um, so there's a buzzword called biohacking. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> so. I, I talked about this with Dr. Portis in my interview. And he had, so that'll drop in a couple of weeks. But um, yeah, biohacking, the word biohack, the word brain are just in every sentence, brain, 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 biohack this, biohack that. It's just incessant. And it's almost to the point where it's like, I've lost, like, what are we talking about anymore? Because everything is about the brain or biohacking or whatever. And it's like, it's so much. It's, I'm just, it's, it's, I feel like it's oversaturated at this point. Yeah. Well, it's uh, for me when actually with, um, there's an episode that I do with one of my friends, she's um, a yoga teacher and we talk about, um, so she had the equivalent of ME or yuppie flu as it used to be called in the the eighties and nineties here. Um, and she was actually sent home to die, you know, because the doctor said we didn't know what was happening. Um, and what she did was she educated herself out of her illness. Um, and it, for me, that's what real biohacking is. And she went off and she read um, yeah. Sarah Myhill stuff, who said it's mitochondria, not hypochondria. And we, we spend a lot of time talking about this, about how the word biohacking has really become, you know, it's, it is, it's a trendy word. Um, and yet, I think for me, what what I found that put things together for me really, really nicely was um, it's an area called nutrigenomics. Okay, so a couple of years ago, I went and had my DNA sequenced. I know lots of people go, oh, but not to find my ancestors. Okay, this was just to do. With, um, yeah, this was to do with what my food tolerances are. Um, what? Oh yeah, we did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I learned a lot from that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and through that, I've kind of gone, oh, my goodness. I've actually found that food, if I change the word food to information, what I'm finding is the information that we put into our bodies has an effect on how we're feeling. That also has an effect on our gut. And it's so interesting when somebody says to me, oh, well, I've, I've, I've got a bit of IBS, Kat. And I say, OK, let's have a look at what's happened in your past, because the first thing I go to is, yeah, trauma. Because if you've got fibromyalgia, IBS, Crohn's, something like that, I kind of tie it into the polyvagal because that's definitely the dorsal vagal. So I go bah, 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 in my head and I say, OK, so what kind of stuff do you eat? You know, is it is it stuff that's irritating the microbiome? Because actually you might be getting feedback from your dorsal vagal, which is telling your brain that you're not very well or that you're traumatized and you're in your, your uh, immobilized state. And actually what we can do is we can look at, let's change your food source, see what happens about how your body feels. And then afterwards, then we'll have a look at whether it really is a dorsal vagal response or whether it's an irritated dorsal vagal response. I've started to do this thing where I'm using, I think the approach is called functional medicine. So I prefer functional um, rather than biohacking. So I'm kind of now starting to use functional psychotherapist because I'm, I'm using the biology, the sociology, the psychology, and the emotions, and kind of looking at human behaviour in that way. But everything, awesome. everything, polyvagal, everything goes back to polyvagal. In fact, I'll tell yeah. you what say. They're sick of hearing about it. <laughs> who, who is? My children, who are in their 20s. Uh-oh. Yeah, my wife is tired of hearing about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I, think I, I like that you went there, though, because... In school and in all these trainings we go to, we hear about the brain-body connection, but no one ever illustrates what the heck that means. They just keep saying brain-body. And now it's like, oh, that's it. 
polyvagal, that's literally the thing that connects all this and the autonomic nervous system and here's what it looks like and here's what it controls. And it's like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. And it's respond and like it, it takes it even further with co-regulation and neuroception and all this other stuff. And it's like, that's the, pe- like you can't, it's not just a buzzword. This is the explanation. There it is. And it, it's real. It, it, it's extremely academic, but it can be broken down to very manageable pieces and under, you know, ways of understanding it, which is what I spent the first, I think nine episodes doing is just mm-hmm. making this under, very understandable. And people, I keep getting messages saying like, this makes sense now. And yeah. it just instantly makes sense. Yes, I think you have a, and I, I will give you a lovely compliment now, I think you have a wonderful skill of taking a really complicated topic and making it easy to understand. Thank um, you. It is, I didn't, re- I didn't realise that this is a skill actually, because I spent, I am fascinated to the nth degree about neuroscience, about biology, about kind of spirituality, about how it all works together. Yep. And then what I sit and so I've got um, a little bush baby. Uh, teddy bear in the office and quite often um, if an adult's talking to me I kind of say okay so we're talking about this part of your brain and it does this and I'm teaching the children and then this bush baby I kind of just lift up and I go oh it's there again and I just pop it back down every you know when people start getting into their anxiety and I say okay so tell me what's happening um well I, I, I don't know so I say okay I'll give you an example so my hands are sweaty my heart is going a bit faster I'm breathing slightly faster what do you think's going on and it's so interesting to see the negativity bias in everybody's language where they'll say oh you nervous excited uh, you know nervous fear said so, i said now i'm excited mm-hmm. actually the same physiological system works the same for excited as well as it does for fear mm-hmm. but it's how mm-hmm. my brain interprets it so and, and then what i'm able to do is sit with the client and say can you see how you went First of all, your default was to go to frightened, nervous, anxious. I said, whereas I'm, I'm interested, what was your face doing? So if I was smiling, I would know I was excited. If I wasn't, I would definitely know. Because people forget, and it's, and I think this is a Peter Levine thing, dead from the neck down. Oh, no, it's not. It's Janina Fisher. Mm. Dead from the neck down. And it doesn't mean that we're uh, dead. What it means is we're disconnected which I think is, is such a brilliant way of saying to people, you're getting this information, you're just not interpreting it. Well, and that's extremely common with dissociation, it seems, yeah. is that people will say, I don't feel from here down. And it's really from neck down, is that I'm numb. I don't feel anything. Because I'll, I'll ask, what's your body feeling? How are you doing? And like, I, from here down, it's nothing. Yeah. So it's numbness. Yeah. So in terms of, what am I thinking of for the podcast here? Okay, so I've just had about 15 different fizz buzz moments about, oh, what could I talk about now? So um, what I actually thought was one of the reasons I've brought you on here, Justin, is because uh, you will understand the language. Um, so what I've been trying to do is educate people in my cyber trauma theory, which is about how we can become traumatized by uh, anything we're using, which is technology, digital, et cetera, et cetera. By the technology or by the people who use it? Well, it's it's basically, cyber trauma has a really long academic def- definition um, to the point that I, that I particularly don't like repeating myself with it. But okay. in, in, in short, it's any trauma that occurs with or from electronically mediated devices. So if you were to, I don't know, suddenly show a picture of something horrific, you know, 
that then I could become cyber traumatized if you were to say something horrific. I could become cyber traumatized. Is that clearing me up? That almost seems misleading because the the device isn't doing it. No, it's it's even even the picture on the device is not from the device. It's from whoever put it there. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, but but it's trauma that involves a a medium device. Yeah. Okay, I got you. Yeah. So it's it's where I've had to write the electronic definition. Unless the device actually has some sort of AI going. Uh, Well, (laughs) where we're heading. Um, yeah, where we are heading. Okay. So what what I've kind of done is that where I've where I've made this definition, I've said um, so. Basically, it's any anything that happens with, through, or from um, an electronic device that's connected yeah. to the internet. So that could be a, a gaming console, you know. So what sure. I thought well, we could talk about this, but I've used um, Stephen's theory, and I actually went to him when I was at the, the conference that I was telling you about. And I said to him, look, this is, this is my thinking. This is what I've been doing. Um, and he actually said, yeah. So I wrote, I don't know if I shared it with you, the polyvagal portal to the matrix was what I actually called my I read that, yeah. I read it. So it's, it's about this false safety. So what, what I've noticed is most people use their devices and they tend to sit about 30, 40 centimetres away which is the innate safe and social distance. So I'm just thinking about what, how could people better understand their, their false safety, you know, when they're, they're using devices? Because I'm, I'm just thinking, I mean, it's usually what I call my mic drop moment when I'm, when I'm chatting away to people and I'll say, okay, so there's this distance and it's the breast to the eye, you know, that's all babies are born with it. It's, it's what we're, we're innately wired to do. And then we hold this device and you kind of get suckered into talking to a person and, you know, how many young people kind of zone out the rest of their, their real world, their corporeal world while they're, while they're talking to their friends or whatever. And I think that's sometimes why adolescents get into the pickles that they do because they haven't got these um, corporeal cues, you know? So for example, you yeah. would, you wouldn't get the breathing. I think I've got right. that in the article that, you know, if it was a virtual reality environment, you don't get the sound of somebody breathing behind you. You, you just don't get the normal signals. There's a lot of stuff you're cut off from. Like right now you and I are talking and I don't know, I have no idea what your legs are doing. I have no idea what your hands are doing. Like I can't tell what state, I mean, I could tell what state you're in, but there, you know, in therapy, I wouldn't be able to see, there's so many signals I would get in therapy that I'm cut off from. You know what I mean? If, if you were my client. So yeah, there's just tons of stuff that you're missing, and I can see your face. Yeah. But you know, if you're if you're in a chat room with someone or in Discord and chit chatting, all you have is the text. Because yes, there's a lot you're missing out on. Yeah. Well, for me, that actually, when I was teaching some therapists about the online stuff, I actually said heads on sticks. That that's literally what we're working with when we when we do therapy using this medium. It's heads on sticks. That's what, that's all we've got. And, and for me, I get a lot of my information from those cues about what the legs are doing, whether they're tapping, whether they look like they're crossed, um, you know, are they clenching their toes? There's, there's so much I get from watching people's body language. Yeah, it, just seeing, I can tell when just by the hands, um, where so if they're, if they're in an aggressive state, they're, you know, they're, my hands might clench. If they're going into flight mode, their legs do start tapping and I can point that out to them, to them in session. So there's, that stuff is invaluable. And I, I thought a lot about doing online therapy. I'm not quite there yet, but um, I do wonder about that stuff and how I would, I would address that. But yeah, but with kids, 
who uh, who are it doing, you know, just chit chatting or whatever. They're gonna, even though they're not thinking about those things, their body's gonna miss out on detecting what someone actually means in some in some of the words that they're using just through text, you know. Uh, but you know, and Xbox Live, you can. I'm doing. I, don't, I haven't played Xbox Live in forever, but this is the uh, the microphone that I'm doing here. Right, well, you um, see straight away. <laughs> you can at least hear a voice, right? Yeah. You can at least hear prosody. Um, you can hear where someone's at, and you you know, a lot of times online, kids are pretty sympathetically aroused. There's a lot of yelling going on, blaming, name calling, stuff like that. Yeah. So you can just definitely pick up on those kind of cues. Well, actually, that's that's a really good thing for for, me, for the the cyber. Cyber Synapse podcast, that's a really interesting part because that's what I'm trying to explain to a lot of the listeners is actually this this medium that we keep, let's go, demonizing, you know, because kids are addicted, blah, de, blah, de, blah. Um, it's time we did something about it. Um, well, yes, let's take it all off them. Let's do, yeah, actually, there's a whole cohort of adults who are still using this stuff. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a gamer, not... Yeah, me not, too. Yeah, not big. Um, I'm not a big A-rated title. Yeah. I don't do the triple A's anymore because a because I can't afford them. Haven't got the time. Haven't got the skills to do them anymore because my God, there's a lot of information that you've got to take in. It is. Uh, um, the last game I played was Skyrim. That was a campaign for individuals, super fun. And before that, last game I played online, like seriously, I think it was Halo Two, maybe. So it's been a while. My daughter and I play the Lego games. Mm-hmm. beyond that that's just that's not online but beyond that i don't, I don't i'm not a gamer anymore unfortunately well that that's that's not unfortunately that, well yeah i mean that's become my new thing i'm actually a gaming therapist so i'm using games in therapy yeah. so some of the things that i am doing well it gives me brilliant insight yeah. um tolerance levels um ability to self-regulate totally yeah and and at the same time whilst the children are playing particularly like the star wars lego and um we've got some of the some of the other kind of lower level games but i play a lot of um we with them because it's oh, yeah. a thing to coordinate it means that the, the client and i can stay in the safe and social and move into play and and yeah it gets you moving actually i like the the we here's here's a, a new wrinkle for you that I, i've thought about when, we, when we're doing gaming or watching TV or on our phones, we're sitting still. So we're our, yeah. you know, the dorsal vagal immobilization. Yeah. But, but hopefully we're in a safe and social state as well. So we can tolerate it and it's fine. Um, but a lot of time when we sit still, we feel what we, what we see on the screen. Yeah. So if we're watching a horror movie, we feel like that tension. So we're actually still, but also very uh, sympathetically aroused. So our heartbeat goes up. Our yep. breathing does get shallow. We lean forward, like what's going to happen next? Um, but a lot of times we're just sitting still. So what I, something I noticed with my own kids is when they turn the screens off, all that energy that has built up, that sympathetic energy, they have to burn it off. So they go, they go nuts. I see them, when they turn the screen off. They'll be, if they can't handle it, they might go into like a tantrum. Um, they might just run around the house. <laughs> if they can handle it appropriately, they'll they'll run around the house and just burn it off, which is fine. But that's, that's something that I think, I would ask parents to notice is how much time are your kids spending in front of a screen? And when it gets turned off, what do you see them do? Yeah. You know what I mean? I I just want to have, I I don't put, we have some limitations on our screen time. I don't demonize it at all. And as long as they earn it, I'm fine with it. But um, when my daughter watches too much, whatever that means for that day, um, she goes nuts. Like she, when the screen goes off, she's not always able to handle being sit, sit still with all that energy building up. And so sometimes she'll, we have a little scooter in the house and she'll just go around and around and around in circles on the scooter, just burning off, burning off her energy. 
but the Wii, the Wii is really good because you're moving. You're not sitting still with a controller exactly. You're you can move with it, and you have it involves uh, balancing, which is huge. So movement. Can you hear me okay? So yeah, movement, yeah. balancing. Um, the Wii is, I think, a really good way to play a game, but to burp, to actually move your body as well. It's, it's really good. Yep, I'm just just checking my internet. This happens nearly every episode. <laughs> oh, about that. Putting putting you into a polyvagal state is the internet. It is the <laughs> <laughs> the most unreliable thing in the world. But no, it's um, all good. <laughs> but uh, actually, my my, in fact, I explain it to my clients' parents by saying, "Do, do you remember watching Karate Kid?" And they go, yeah. "Oh yeah." What happened at the end of Karate Kid? Well, my kid jumped up, wah, wah, wah. And I said, that's exactly the same with games. So <laughs> I, I have this thing where um, I think schools tried to implement it um, when my children were at primary school. So this is going back, what, probably about 20 years. And they, they used to do this wake up, shake up. And what you'd do is you'd get into your classroom every morning, you'd shake yourself off. And I thought, that's great. But what about the kids that are already in fight or flight? So I think your your episode that you did with Mercedes where you talked about the path tour, um, that's that's a brilliant way of explaining it to the teachers. And it, it's quite often what I do in my training is I get them to sit in the room and I'll say, OK, I'm just going to play you a piece of music. And, and it might be, you know, what it's like, what it's like for a child to get to school. And it's it's um, it's a, <laughs> it's a YouTube video of an orchestra that don't quite get it right. In fact, it's horrendous. It's young children trying to do um, Space Odyssey. Um, as, as the, and it's off, It's a cacophony of <laughs> mistiming. And, you know, what it does do is it makes people kind of go to begin with and then the humour begins. And it's, it's almost like Wi-Fi watching the humour go around people. And I'll say, so, you know, by the time these kids get to school, they're, they're wired. A lot of them are massively wired by the time they get here. And then, you know, you ask them to sit down or they've just had a fight with somebody. So I'm bringing it back to social media and, and gaming and so on. They've just yeah. had a fight with a friend on social media on the way to school. And now now they've got this energy and they don't know what to do with it. So what, what we need to do is really kind of start tapping into what's happening with children in our classrooms before we even ask them to start sitting down and learning. Yeah. We, we've taken so much, I think you call it recess time over there, we've taken so much time away from children in this country. I think the seven-year-olds get the equivalent of one break in the morning, um, a short break at lunchtime, and they're not getting their afternoon breaks. It's, yeah, there's a, I mean, kids play, they learn through play. They have to move. They don't do well with just sitting and learning. That's not how they're built. It's, just, it's not realistic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when they come in to school for the first time, they're transitioning from an environment that may not be safe whatsoever. So they really have to have an opportunity to adjust, be with the class, be with the teacher. And that might mean doing a circle time right at the beginning and just doing a check-in. And I've been doing that with uh, in classes. And it's very helpful. It can be extremely helpful. And it's really also for a way for the teacher to send her, his or herself um, mm -hmm. to get back to their safe and social baseline. The thing that, um, go back to social media and, and devices and whatnot, um, what I'm realizing with teenagers is for the most part, kids are on devices and they can play with friends and it's a non-issue, right? Or they can even handle stuff on Xbox Live or online that um, might be considered bullying or whatever and they can handle it and walk away from it and they're fine. Mm -hmm. But some kids who, some kids, the, the, the online stuff is just an extension of their daily life. Yeah. So if they're being like actually severely bullied in school, you know what I mean? Like, 
Mm-hmm. And, and then those people are seeking them out online. Yeah. But then they can't escape it. So then what, what happens is usually kids used to go to school, like when I was in school, if mm-hmm. we got bullied, we would leave, we'd have an escape. We'd go home and we'd be safe, hopefully, right? But now with devices, and of course you could turn it off, but with devices and you go on Instagram and you, you'll, you might see that your bully has created a fake account under your name. And now the bullying is now happening on Instagram as well. So it, now, now we can't escape it. So we can't fight against it either. And that's when we go into this sort of given up, shut down sort of state. Mm-hmm. If you can't escape the danger. And that's, that's what I'm seeing with kids. Is, and also online, you can really expose somebody. And kids are, you know, they're filming themselves nude and whatnot. And teenagers. And they don't, kids don't keep that on their device. That goes out. Um, so the bullying, that severe level of bullying, it spread among peers very quickly, uh, or like exposing a kid for their, um, this is what school they go to. This is their class schedule. I've seen that. So that level of bullying and not being able to escape it really sends someone to this sort of shutdown state, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not the device. that's a problem. It's the kids using it. Well, yeah. I mean, there, there is this thing about it's human behavior in, in yeah. and, um, so in, in actually in my book, that's the first thing that I start to say is when I was at school, I could shut the door at 4.30 and that was that until nine o'clock the following morning. But for me, the, um, and it actually came out in some of the research that I did, um, cyberbullying is relentless, it's insidious. And yeah. I, one of my favorite quotes out of my research was, um, it goes into your bones. It, that is how deep it goes. These children are carrying it within their bones because we know, we know I mean, you and I will know this, um, but most of us can relate some form of, um, you know, let's call it a mini trauma back to our back to our childhood. Uh, bullying stays with you for a lifetime. And it's the most uh, I'm going to say it's the longest lasting trauma in terms of uh, spinning it around. I'm going to use Brene Brown to do this now. Uh, Brene Brown talks about shame and how actually our earliest memories of shame we can go back to our childhood and you can bet your bottom dollar most of the time it's something that happened in school so it might be a teacher yeah it might be a teacher that's rubbish Uh, so for me it was um I wasn't very good at drawing so when it came to actually doing drawing with clients I used to have this in in the early days I used to have this huge um fight or flight response and I used to just say to the kids oh you do the drawing and I'll just watch yeah, I own it now. I'm not very good at drawing, but it doesn't matter. It's the fact that I'm partaking with them. Uh, so, again, if I go back to that conversation we had earlier, it's about learning and doing better. So, for me, there was something about, okay, so what's going on here? Ah, I'm being taken back to my shame, my polyvagal early response, which is get out the door if you're asked to draw because somebody's going to shout at you for how rubbish it is. And then what happened was me and the clients I saw in the first probably two, three years of practice didn't actually get all of me being powerfully present because I just wasn't capable of being there because of my own stuff getting in the way. So it's, it's kind of like when, when I say this cyberbullying, I say to children, okay, so how long are you going to carry this? Well, forever, because this stuff that happens on the internet is forever. And I think that's, that's the concept that I'm trying to get therapists and parents to understand is we have all had a very different experience to young people nowadays because all of our memories are up here in our heads 
And that was just, I had to, I had to say that then, because I recognise loads of people do that on audio podcasts. They point, but don't tell you where they point. <laughs> um, so yeah, our memories, our memories are virtual by the very concept of being in our head. But for young people nowadays, it's still on the internet. So it's well, Oh, like literally, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I was, when the internet first came out, I don't even know how old I was, um, but it wasn't what it is now. No. At all. So no. my experience of the internet has been overall pretty darn healthy. Even Xbox Live, I know there's tons of toxic stuff on there. I, I never played PlayStation, that's why I keep seeing Xbox Live. But um, tons of toxic stuff, but overall, I can turn it off, walk away, and I'm fine. I can leave school, and I'm good. Um, but so the, the experience, social media wasn't around when I was in high school. So the experience of the internet for me was more or less innocent. Um, yeah. But now, and this just really shocked me when I first realized this, because for me it was, if you're getting bullied online, we'll just turn it off or stop going to the chat room. But now it's like, because that was my experience of the internet. Mm-hmm. But now it's, no, 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 people are making fake accounts under your name. Yep. pretending to be you and saying that they're a prostitute or something like that, like horrible, horrible stuff. Mm-hmm. And then people are seeing this and then confronting you in real life about it. And you cannot, you cannot escape this. And that is the definition of trauma is being in danger that you cannot escape. Well, it's not the D definition, but it's a, it's a big, it's a big component of it. That's what the free state, the shutdown state is, is that you can't fight it. I'm sorry. You can't run away from it. You can't fight it. Yeah. So you, you have to freeze or collapse or submit or shut down. Yeah. That's what that, you can't escape. That just, it really kind of blows my mind. Still, I, I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around it. Like the stories that I'm hearing from kids, horrible, horrible things. Well, I mean, that's, that's why I'm A, trying to do this podcast so that I can get a lot of this information out there. And B, it's certainly not going fast enough. I've then got the book that I'm trying to write, a PhD that I'm trying to do so that I can go. <laughs> Actually, this is this is what it's like for children. So I'm going to go back to your Halo example. So I knew you were an Xboxer uh, in terms of when you said Halo because you could only get it on Xbox. Um, right. That's what my kids grew up with. And um, I'm not as good at Halo as they are. However, I when was it? February. February, I went to do a conference for the children, young people um, section of the largest membership body in this country. And I, I stood in a room and I did the workshop twice during the day. And then one of them was um, webcast. And I, I'm chatting away and I said, uh, does anybody know who this is? And I put this picture up and it's me dressed up as Master Chief. <laughs> Silence. And I went, oh, wow. Are they, they're still making Halo games, aren't they? I have no idea, honestly. Yeah. And... But, but it's taking a big back seat, I guess. Um, or, yeah. or Master Chief has? Is he still in the games? I don't even know. No, no, no. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, the, the point for me, Justin, was, which I heard okay. my whole minute ago, go, yeah, that was my excite, excited prosody then, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> the, um, yeah, they, there was a room full of male. Uh, there was males in the room. There were people who were aged, I'm going to say about 25 upwards. Not one person knew who Master Chief was in both workshops. That's hard to believe. I believe you, but it's, it's shocking. Um, well, then when I said, and then we've got the these apps, does anybody know these apps? Now, I didn't show Instagram, Twitter. Uh, what I did was I showed the live chat apps, which a lot of the young people used. Nobody, nobody. again, one person got the Instagram live because actually it got the word live on it. Um, and then I said, okay, so then we've got this issue and then we've got this issue. And I was only able to bunny hop across many of the, the, the game 
the social media issues. And I'm consistently flawed, absolutely flawed by the lack of knowledge that therapists have in this country about digital media and the effect that it's having on young people. Um, yeah, and that's, well, that's not something, I don't, I don't even know if that's being taught in school, in, in uh, graduate school. I have no idea. I don't, I doubt it. I doubt there is. It's 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 a little bit. I mean, because I've grown up with this, so my my children are now, and, and I talk about them on on here quite a lot. They're in their twenties. Um, I've grown up with uh, the Halo uh, series, uh, Gears of War, which is actually one of my favourites. Um, there's all of all of the different types of technology, and I'm I'm kind of sitting going, okay, so if therapists in this country are not aware of the simple formats of like AAA games, the, the ways that we can communicate using, uh, you know, voice chat, the way we can do things on social media, how Snapchat works, how Instagram works. What on earth is going to happen as VR becomes the new norm, which it is doing, in, you know, incrementally. Sure. I, I mean, I've got VR games. I play VR games so that I can experience exactly what's going on. And I'm ahead because I'm a bit of a geek. I'm ahead of the game. It, it is helpful to know the platforms. I'm very, I'm intimately aware of like Instagram, especially Twitter. I'm learning more and more and more, but kids are, I don't think kids are really using Twitter. Um, but Instagram, they're all over Instagram. And the fact that they can talk about DMs or going live or whatever, and I know what they're talking about, it shocks them. They, for some reason, they assume I have no idea, but I'm like, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I don't tell them this, but I, I'm using it at a higher level than you are, but whatever. But, uh, but they're shocked. They're shocked that I know what these things are. It's like, okay, now it opens up this whole avenue of conversation. Not, now you get it. Now I can tell you about what happened and you'll get it. Yeah. Like this, I, the, the bullying that I experienced in this group DM thing. Like, yeah, I get that. Like, so now we're going to talk about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, my, my concern at the moment is, and you've mentioned this platform's Discord. Okay, so in terms of uh, my worries, so I spend a lot of time talking to safeguarding staff and, and police who used to be... Um, uh, yeah well actually they're now they're now running a lot of e-safety companies and I'm, I'm going out I think it's next week to do some training for um I think I have to be careful how I say this uh, I'm doing some training for some police that's all I'll say um and I've got I've got to go and educate them about why it's it's I'm not bothered about this platform that platform the other it's discord I'm worried about at the moment and the new why is that? um because it's a file sharing app and there's no way oh, okay. um so in in this country, we have um, a company called an organisation, even called the Internet Watch Foundation, and what what they do is they remove child abuse images. They have some absolutely fantastic technology, which will trace an image of a child, and they will look for what's called the hash. So you can identify any image by using this particular hash. They can go right the way across the world. They can take down websites. They've got a whole list of banned. Wow. Uh, it's it's a fantastic organisation. It really, really is. However, there's a few changes happening at the moment with, um, and I don't want to go too technical, but there's something called um, DOH, which is uh, Domain Name Server over HTTPS, which basically means, for anybody listening, that the system that is currently in place protects children from accidentally looking at um, child abuse images because the internet providers look at this banned list that the Internet Watch Foundation have got, and all websites that they have on their banned list are inaccessible. However, young people know how to use VPNs. They know how to use um, certain ways of accessing the Internet. And because 
the internet has been made by humans. People are saying, actually, we're entitled to free speech. So now, um, I think it's Chrome, Google Chrome are going to do an update. Firefox has done one. And it will actually mean that children could get around these um, banned lists. But it's not just children who worry me, because if children can get around it, then adults can access those children. And, and, and they will, yeah. Yeah. So I think the the biggest issue I'm beginning to see in therapy is is children using, you know, they'll be on Roblox or Fortnite or Minecraft, whatever the big game of the moment is, because it's like pairs of underpants. They keep changing every week, don't they? And what I'm noticing is that... Well, hopefully daily with underpants. Well, the, yeah. <laughs> um, do you know, that was the thought that went through my head and I just thought, don't correct yourself, Kath. <laughs> <laughs> But there is something about these these uh, games are not what worries me. It's the the chat apps that they're using and the live apps. Yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah, those are consistently sitting in the background, and it's knowing what happens. So, for example, on Discord, I'm aware that a lot of the key login software doesn't actually capture a lot of what's happening on um, the the platform. It just it just isn't working in the way that it would have done years ago. And I think parents are not aware of what actually happens on a file sharing system. So I'm, I'm going back and saying, do you remember LimeWire? And people go, no. And I go, oh, this is going to be so hard to explain. Oh, yeah, LimeWire, yeah. There, I, I'm working with parents that don't understand, I mean, the fundamentals of how, like, how a smartphone works, like logging in. Mm. Like just fundamental stuff. And, that, I mean, this is a little rectangle that your child carries around that has access to the entire world. And all of its images and all the people within it, I mean, really, and they don't they don't get it at all. That, that's kind of scary, honestly. And I think as parents, we have to have some level of supervision over these things. Yes. Um, so the the figure that it, I tend to give it what are clearly mic drop moments because at the end of at the end when I'm training, I tend to see. Um, do you know the meme of the cat that goes? And <laughs> it's just literally a big wide open mouth. Um, I think so. Yeah, well, it's a little bit like that because when I say to people, okay, this child has access to the world of anybody connected to the internet, and I go, okay, right. So hunter-gatherer tribes, there's something called the Dunbar effect, which is um, hunter-gatherer tribes are made up of about 150 people maximum because that's all our brain can actually manage in one, you know, one setting. We have close friends, then we have associates or, you know, people like that. But actually, we can't manage more than 150 relationships at any one time. So that, that's why hunter-gatherer tribes tend to be about 150 and no more. And then villages used to be about those sizes. Well, now, if you think about the village that children are connected to, currently, and this was statistics at the end of 2018, 4.8 billion people are that village. That's quite a terrifying figure. Which it's mind-boggling, yeah. It's Which also means 4.8 billion people can also see that child's public's pro profile pictures, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And if, yeah, and if you don't explain to your child or you don't watch over your child, it's, it's almost like saying, right, well, the school that you need to go to is five miles down that road. Uh, there's 15 freeways to cross. Uh, off you go. Mm-hmm. And for me... Yeah, it's it's no wonder children are getting into pickles. Yeah, and it's I, I do think that parents have to step up on some level and make the effort to learn. Like, I, my my parents 
they don't have to worry about it anymore. They have kids that are grown up, but um, and we're doing okay. But my mom had issues with um, logging into her email today, and you know, it's you know stuff like that. And it, it, you have to have a fundamental. If you have children, especially teenagers, or anyone accessing social media and whatnot, you have to have a fundamental knowledge of how this thing, these things work, mm-hmm. uh, and and also how to like turn off their ability to like do private messages and and whatnot. Uh, who could friend and unfriend and all that stuff. Like, I really think it's just part of the world now. You have to have a fundamental knowledge of this stuff, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think the fundamental knowledge, in one of one of the things I've said in a number of my trainings, and I've, I've probably said it on this podcast, I don't know how many times, is we don't have an excuse anymore about not being tech savvy. It's, it's, There's that. We, we have to be tech savvy. It's And I'm not one for giving people orders if you like but there is something here in quotes that I have to we have to now to protect our children I think like we used to say like tech savvy meant something way back when it was a special skill it's just yeah. part of life now it's just you have to understand this is fundamental knowledge at this point I think I'm sorry to say but like it is like it's just this is just a part of our life and you can deny it and say how much it sucks all you want but it is Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not even like tech savvy anymore. It's just, do you know how to like, you know, make spaghetti? Do you know how to log on to a cell phone or, you know, use a fingerprinting on the cell phone or like, this is just fundamental stuff that we have to know at this point, I think. Yeah. Well, it's, it's quite interesting in my role as a, a therapist, if a child gets a smartphone. So, um, some time ago, a child said to me, oh, Kath, I need to show you this phone, blah, blah, blah. Down the stairs. Dad, 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 can I, can I show, uh, and I'm, I'm sat there thinking, oh, I have to do this challenging thing now because I know what's going to happen. And the child went, there you go. And straight away, I saw three apps on there that the child is not um, age appropriate for. And I said to the dad, OK, how much e-safety training have you had? And he said, none. I said, do you know much about these apps? And he said, no. I said, we need to sit down and have a talk. You really do. Um, but with my daughters, <laughs> we thought we were clever. And this is stupid. We thought we were clever by saying, no, you can't have a phone, but we'll let you have a tablet. The tablet's the same damn thing without the ability to call. But if she wanted, I mean, we don't let her, but, you know, Skype can call. Mm-hmm. All, all these different things she can do is to call, but we have we have control over that. But it, there's there's really simple things that if you don't know it, fine. But if you can get onto YouTube, there's all these tutorials out there to teach you step by step by step on how to, like, lock something up. Like, with her tablet, she can't download anything unless she gets approval first from my wife's phone. It goes my wife's phone, not mine. But um, if she tries to download something, it'll first notify my wife on her phone that my daughter's trying to download this thing. Mm-hmm. So if she tries to download TikTok, which she will not, period, that's not happening, um, my wife will say, no, you may not have TikTok. Yeah. So it, but I, I think that when I, I was new to Apple and I didn't know how to do this stuff because I was a Samsung user. So I looked it up. I had to go onto YouTube or look on the internet for a tutorial and just follow step by step. This, this, this. All right, cool. We're set. Yeah. And I, I wonder actually if that's, wonder if that's actually what I'm gearing at here is as therapists, not only are we um, the kind of people who need to be uh, able to talk to children, we, we've got to know this world that they exist in. And, and I think that's, that's essentially what I'm trying to do at the minute because I think just to go to your example there, Justin. Um, yeah, actually, as parents, we need to know how to say no, i.e., no, you can't have TikTok, and then we need to manage the meltdown that follows. 
because there's also something about for me that that level of peer pressure again going back to the Dunbar effect used to be 150 people now it's a whole school it's yeah. a whole village you know because yeah. that's what happens uh, and I, I hear I hear at least once a week from my daughter she's nine almost ten mm. you know her friend all the, she's every time a, a kid in her class gets a phone she updates us and my answer is like that's awesome I'm happy for them that's great that's about it. Yeah. Like, what do you want from me? Like, you know, it's not going to happen. You're, you're not going to get that. And the, the tablet you have, here's the times where you're able to use it. Here's the chores you have to do to earn it. Um, like it's, it's, that's, we have a structure that we've set up and she has a ton of leeway. Like we, we're not super controlling parents whatsoever, but there's some minimum things you have to do to earn these things. Like that's just, that's the way that's just kind of it. Just like in real life. Yeah. I don't get what I want. I got to earn it. Mm -hmm. that's just it and I, I have zero problem saying no and meaning it I just I, I, I refuse to set her up for a no and then give in because that's not going to help her in real life it doesn't help so earning things hearing no that means no that, that's a pretty simple valuable life skill yeah well I, I think when when it actually gets published so I've, I've ended up chopping and changing what I've been doing because it was going to be four books then it was going to be two then it was and, and basically what's happening at the moment is I've got, um, so the first part of the book explains about attachment trauma and why certain attachment styles have an effect on a, a child's ability to manage things in cyberspace. And then I've got the, the next part of the book is about gaming and what kind of issues can occur. I mean, to be honest, the first part of it is about all the positives of gaming because I think there's, there's so many books out there about, you know, they'll become addicted. And yes, there are problems. However, those problems can be managed. So what I've done is I've broken it down into, well, how do I manage this with my child? Um, so, for example, I'm going to use uh, the, the phrase that I give all the time. Um, it's like a spaghetti test. We all know how to cook spaghetti. But what's really interesting is I'll say to people, so how do we cook spaghetti? And some people say, oh, eight minutes, 12 minutes. Okay. <laughs> Are you all talking about white pasta? What about whole wheat pasta, which takes 25 minutes? And actually, this is what it's like for a child's social media, for their gaming. You need to understand each and every game system, whatever it is that they're doing, so that you, yeah. you know, so that you can um, kind of have a, a conversation with them about, okay, tea will be ready, dinner will be ready in such and such a minute. What are you doing at the moment? So you'll understand where I'm coming from. On Skyrim, you've got to get to save points. And if, mm -hmm. if you die in between your save points or something, you have to go back to the previous one, which means you've got to do all of your work all over again. Mm -hmm. So I'll say to a parent, so ask them where the next save point is. Children intuitively know, well, it's been 10 minutes, so I'm likely to be near the next one. So say to them, okay, how long will it take you to get there? As soon as you get to the save point, save it. And then what we'll do is we'll sit down and we'll have dinner. You know, pretty, pretty, yeah, things like that are pretty simple. Or um, this is what time we're eating. And like with my daughter, I say, this is what time we're eating. And we'll give a warning. Like we're eating five minutes or whatever. Yeah. And I do expect that you can manage your time and get to a safe point, whatever you need to do before this. Um, and we, like I set that expectation out there that I, I know you can do this. You can watch the clock. You can check your safe point, your checkpoint, whatever it is. You, you can handle this. Yeah. Oh, how much autonomy and agency is there? You see, this is what I'm trying to explain. I give up. I give up as much responsibility as I can because I don't, I, I can't, I'm not going to manage her life. I mean, with, with, within reasons, cause she's young, mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm in my mind, I sh I'm preparing her for when she's 25, 20, when she's in college on her own, 
you have to have time management skills. You have to be able to prioritize homework over video games. Um, so that's why homework comes first. Then you can watch video games or, or play video games or uh, watch your tablet or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I don't, we don't put a whole lot of control. It's like, is, is your homework done? Yeah. Have at it. Go ahead. Yeah. You know, yeah. Video, like I, I don't, you earned it. Go. You, you had a long, and her school is very rigorous. So like you, you survived school. I know you learned a lot. You did all your work, you did your homework. You're good to go. Yeah. Do you know, I really like that sentence that you've just used there. You've survived mm. school because oh my God. every day. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's such a difficult thing. Not only are these children managing their learning, they're also managing, let's say, for example, 28 other people's uh, physiological safety in a day, the teachers, the corridors, the playground, the journey. And I think, how, co- how come, right, some adults will go, oh, I've had such a stressful week, Kath. And I go, so why do you expect your children to be able to manage? Totally. I, it's, you know, there's no different. And actually, you, you've transitioned through adolescence. You've transitioned through your skills of stress management. And you're struggling as an adult. So why would you expect a 10-year-old who is going to school and has now got to tr- go from, you know, primary school to secondary school as we have here? Why, why do you think that they're any more capable than you? And how come you can have a bad day? And the, the reason for that, I'll, I'll get really blatant here. The reason for that is because it's easy to blame kids. It, oh, it's, yeah. it's easy to point the figure. They can't fight back. Um, it's extremely easy for parents and teachers and principals and doctors to say, that's the problem right there. What? Yeah. And I just, I don't buy into that. Every kid I've seen, every kid I've seen, I have to know the context of their life. And I haven't seen a single kid that is the problem and that's it. I just, I haven't met that kid. In therapy, in, in outside of therapy, I've never met that kid that is just somehow born with a disorder or behavior problem or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I have, I have never met that kid. I've been doing therapy for 11 years now, I think. And there's always a context. There's always a context. Mm-hmm. Well, they, this is what I say about children coming into that. They don't come context-free. They belong to their parent. And I use the phrase belong to their parent. They belong to their environment whatever that is whether it's a small extended family whether it's a whole village and the psychopathologizing that we have of children at the minute drives me bloody nuts it's heartbreaking yeah it's 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 heartbreaking for me like literally like it's it's almost killed like i mean i'm not being very i'm exaggerating but it, it hurts me inside to hear people talk about a child's brain chemicals without actually doing any measuring of it not that that's possible whatever i don't know but or their you know their genes without doing any sort of genetic testing that somehow they're born with a disorder and it's like wait wait what what are you talking like we're not testing what are you talking about so mm-hmm. for me and for me it's like well let's let's work on the family first you know let's work on bullying or the trauma history and if that if that stuff is resolved and they still have some sort of quote unquote disorder then maybe they're just born this way I, I haven't met that kid yet I haven't met a kid that doesn't come from a home where there's some sort of issue? Um, well, yes. I, I did, yeah, I did get asked the other day. Oh, in fact, it was yesterday. I was with some friends and um, the, the person I was talking to said, yeah, but do, because you do this trauma thinker, do you? And I said, to be perfectly honest, Gary, I said, I see trauma everywhere. There isn't a person I don't work with or talk to or go to somebody's house where I don't see some form of trauma, I said, but what I do know is that we don't label it as trauma because it's too difficult for us to, un- to, to do that. It's really, t- and I, 
it's not Peter Levine who said this. No, it is. And somebody else added onto it, a trauma therapist here, who said, you know, we're actually drawn to watching trauma, but we didn't turn the mirror on ourselves. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, ain't that true? Exactly right. So yeah. it's, it's, it's extremely easy for all of us adults to say, something's wrong with this kid. And then to turn to another adult and say, can you fix this kid? Yeah. And once you meet with that parent and you say, well, and you start hearing about how they were raised, then it's like, then they get it. It's like, oh, I'm doing this thing. I haven't, I don't play with my kid. I don't tell them I love them every day or at all. And once you do those little things, like for real, like say I love you every day. And so many times parents start doing that and they see a change. Yeah. Once you start to actually build a healthy attachment, like mm-hmm. things get better. I, I don't care what the diagnosis is. Every kids that I've seen with like ADHD or what's called ADHD, who, and that's supposed to be like a chemical disorder or whatever. And for some reason, when I do family therapy, it gets better mm-hmm. pretty quick, pretty quickly. I don't know. So that's just me. I'm, I don't know. Yeah, don't get me that... going more. <laughs> <laughs> it upsets me. I think there's another episode here in terms of, um, yeah, because for me, that's where, and I'm going to go back to this colored, um, that's where the green zone is. Green zone is your safe, secure attachment. It's your social engagement system. It, it feels good to be in the green zone. Yeah, and, and this is what I say to the families when I'm talking, because actually if, if the child's in the red and you're in the blue and you're not meeting in the middle. So for me, there's some, and I do use that phrase, you've got to meet in the middle. You've got to accept that your child is capable of veering all the way across this green at any point in time. And you can also be in the green, but be in a different, different state. You know, you can be over here and they can be over there. That's okay because you're both in the green zone. And when you can both follow the green zone and it it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, which is obviously the window of tolerance expanding, then what you're able to do is tolerate that they're not perfect because you actually recognize that you're not perfect as well. Yeah, the the parents' window of tolerance um, is oftentimes really small, honestly, and and we definitely have to build some resiliencies because once you're outside the window of tolerance, you start to say things like, uh, why are you this way? Why are you that way? You're like, you blame, you blame other people. rather than looking inward. And when you're in a safe state, you're able to look inward and be like, oh, you know, I didn't do that thing. I, I'm not connecting with you. And, and you're able to be very honest with yourself in a safe, vulnerable way. But once you're outside that window of tolerance, you lose that ability. You literally lose that ability to yeah. be uh, to be self-reflective. You have to be in a safe state to be self-reflective. Um, yes. So I, I do give examples. And I'm, I'm you know, because I'm, I'm totally, uh, yeah, I'm totally okay with my own shame for most of the time. Um, I came home, my 21-year-old was uh, at home the other week, headphones on, blah, blah, blah. And, and I came in, in fact, it's a couple of months ago now, so I can let myself off. Came in and I, I was in a shitty mood over something, you know, on, on the way home. And I, I barked at him. Me, 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 me. And off I went upstairs. And then, obviously, the critical parent kicks in. Um, and I was like, oh, that was... So I went back went back downstairs and I did that thing that parents do that probably wasn't the best timing I just stood staring at him and obviously he's got his headphones on because I was like I need to repair this so it was all about me at that moment in time I was like oh I'm such a bad parent I need to repair this and obviously I'm stood loitering near the tv screen with his and he just went what and I said I'm really sorry about what I said it was probably really hard for you to hear that I was so empathic Justin it was brilliant and I was like you know I'm so sorry and he just went Right, 
Is it a good <laughs> Oh, I was I was gutted. He he just went, uh, have you turned into a Buddhist monk? And I said, I, I'm sorry, what? And he said, have you turned into a Buddhist monk? And I said, no. And he just said, oh, I'm just wondering, because you're doing that chill thing, whatever. Just put his headphones back on. And I walked away and I was like, oh, but the book says, you know, this book that we all go to, the book says when you repair I, I don't know. I expected a Disney tale. Well, you have to, you really, right, right, right. You hope for that. But you, and I've, I've been in the same situations before. And I know that if I just go back and try to apologize, even though I've sent my daughter or my, even my son, but my daughter down the ladder. Yeah. Like if I'm being more commanding and it, like, it just, it doesn't help. But if I'm being very authoritarian, I guess, and commanding and really sort of barking at her. Um, and I've had those moments. I'm not perfect. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, Oh, that was dumb. And I go back. Like, I've already sent her down the polyvagal ladder. Now she's pissed off. She's in the uh, a sympathetic state. So if I say, no, I'm sorry, she's not in a place to hear that. Nope. So we, we really both have to kind of calm down, I think, in, in our own ways and then come back together when we're both in a calm state. And a lot of times that might be like right before bed when I'm sticking night to her, I'll be like, you know what? I did that thing earlier and I really, I know how that affected you. I feel sorry. I, I'm sorry about that. And an apology is not about the reaction. It's about me owning up to what I did wrong. And not about her reaction. She can react however she wants. It's about me saying, I messed up. I know I affected you. And I'm sorry about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, the thing is, though, is I was self-aware enough to know exactly what I was doing, that I'd gone down to apologize because this was all about me making me feel better. <laughs> <being enough. laughs> um, obviously, you have this, and I always call it the Disney-esque. And I'll say to parents, so you have this Disney-esque uh, expectation. You go and you try and you try to fix it and it doesn't work out. You know, basically, my son punished me by going, what? You know, and I was just like, yeah, I'm not in a place to do it, mum. You've hurt me, go away. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, he, but he, I don't know how he felt, but he was, he was also probably pretty focused on his game and didn't want to talk. Um, well, that's it's pretty that's- similar. <laughs> Well, yeah, I was stood loitering, and that that must have been so so disorientating for him to be sitting doing the game, going, "I know she's still there. Oh, yeah. What does she want?" That was doing. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Yeah. So um, his level of irritation was probably pretty high. Yeah. So yeah, well, it was all my all my agenda, <laughs> all my agenda, because I I I knew I was dysregulated, and I knew in in inverted commas, I'd kind of done the wrong thing, disappeared off. Um, and I, I like transactional analysis because I've done a lot of my training in it. It's so easy to come back and go, yeah, I'd gone into my child state and I needed you to say it was okay that I was a, an idiot and, and you weren't doing that for me. And then I got upset because you hadn't done. Yeah, it was all about, and that was the funny thing is afterwards I went, yeah, that was all about me that I got that completely wrong, didn't I? But oh, that your was, brother, you said that to him? Oh yeah, later on in the evening. But that was a genuine connection. Like you were, yeah. you were actually more well aware of yourself and connecting with them yeah eight um well do you do you find that actually as a therapist that sometimes there's there's this being self-aware is a pain in the backside it feels a lot better to give in to your sympathetic arousal and to yell or yeah. to command and you hopefully you think you get a faster result but you end up damaging the relationship and it's not worth it but yeah it feels really good to give in to that stuff right mm-hmm. and when you get irritated and then to pull back and be self-aware um it doesn't feel very good but it, it's just the right thing to do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? so at least at least inhibit your impulse to like yell or command 
at least do that. Even if you can't actually connect and, and do a real apology or whatever, at least like that's where I started was just this. I feel the impulse to, I'll, I'll be real honest. I've never hit my kids and I never will. I've never even spanked, nothing like that. No whooping, no spanking, no hitting, nothing. But I, that's the way I was raised was I got spanked. And I noticed that I reached a point where there was the impulse to spank. And, I, and luckily I noticed it. And I didn't have the right answer in that moment, but I just didn't spank. I just didn't make the situation worse. And I, and I noticed like, Ooh, that, where did that come from? And I know where it came from, but uh, you just don't do, just don't do it. Like, just don't do the thing that you, <laughs> you want to do. It doesn't feel good. And it feels like these, like this, this break, like this screeching halt, but you have to just not give in to that sympathetic arousal, that state. You can't yeah. give in to that, that impulse. Well, that for me, that's the thing, isn't it? That's the vagal break. That's it, it, the point of yeah. that. That's, that's where you go, yeah, that's really interesting. I could have gone that little bit, I could have lost it. I think Dan Siegel talks about flipping the lid on the, the hand model of the brain, and he says, and actually it's really easy to do that, really easy. And and there's something about that. It is. It allows me to be quite compassionate with um, a lot of my uh, clients, but what I do find is the rest, so like, like yourself, I was brought up in a family where it was corporal punishment, you know, um, sort yourself out, blah, blah, blah. And I, I haven't, and I don't, and I get called a liberal parent. So I find a lot of people are like, oh, you're very liberal, Kath. It's not, you don't hit kids. It's not okay. Mm-hmm. I, I don't hit anybody's kids. I hate my own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't hit kids. Yeah. It's not that hard. No. I mean, it's not that hard as long as you, you know, I, I, again, I get people have their histories, but we don't hit kids. Mm-hmm. We don't hit kids. Well, it, it, I, I often say, well, would, would you would you sm- hit your kitten? Would you hit a puppy? And the number of people that go, yeah, and I'm like, ah, right, okay, this is not working. <laughs> yeah, actually, you wouldn't hit something smaller than yourself. And actually, what does happen is you build resentment. The more you smack your children, the more you actually build well, even, even when you yell, even when you judge, even when you blame, you're, you're hurting the relationship. I did a parenting group, and there was a dad who was raised in a very abusive environment. Mm. And for him, that worked because he said, I did what my dad told me to do. And um, so for him, hitting worked. It worked. And he said he respected his dad. And I said, did you respect him or did you fear him? Those, are, those don't go together. Okay. And he, he feared it. It wasn't respect, it was fear. Yeah. And, so he, and so here I am teaching him all these skills, which are healthy and positive and full of love. And he's like, but it's easier to, to do the other thing. It's easier to hit. And I said, you're right. It is. You could give into that and it is easier, but what you're doing is you're setting this kid up to feel the way that you feel right now about your dad and all the pain that you're, that you're sitting with. So yeah, it is easier. You can get him to do what you want. If you hit him hard enough, you, you can get him to do what you want. You're right. But that's not the right thing to do. It's wrong. Yeah. And I, I spoke to him on that level. I had a good enough rapport with him to really challenge him. He's like, you're right. You're right. Well, I'm before we finish, I think what I'll do is I'll just tie that back into, I think sometimes that's the frustration that teachers have, isn't it? Is they want to go to that place where they, they've lost it. And, and I think there's a lot about um, shouting. <laughs> quite often when I'm teaching the teachers and I'll say, and I'm aware you shout at the children. And quite often they go, no, we don't. And I go, oh, come on. Please. Really? <laughs> the children tell me that you shout. Uh, you're all human. That's 30 different levels of needs in a room you're telling me that you don't sometimes go into your own you know uh, to quote to quote you on your your um podcast are you telling me that you don't go down the ladder because do you know what you wouldn't be a human if you didn't no. so you know it's it's right. really 
difficult when you've got children over here sympathetic, children over here parasympathetic, children over here safe and social, and they're all intermingling. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I, I think sometimes that's what children... I mean, I was... I was at school and, and board rubbers used to be thrown and you'd, you'd get whacked with the tin whistle by the music teacher. And it, yeah, it was, it was a state of dysregulation, but from the teacher as well. And nowadays, I think it's all about shame, punishment, shouting. So while there's no physical chastisement, pretty much the same. It seems like we've done a good job in society of teaching that it's not okay to hit. And I think we're doing better with it's not okay to yell. I think, but we don't, we're not doing a very good job at what to actually do so we're saying like don't hit and if you do hit you'll get arrested or cps will get involved child protective services but we're not doing a great job of this is what you should do yeah even if parents know what to do or or teachers even if they know what to do it's really hard to do it because of the way we were raised Mm -hmm. uh, because of not being able to tolerate how we feel because like you know it's, it's um when kids disobey or whatever we get pretty upset pretty quickly and it's not all of us can tolerate that so even if we know what to do up here it's so much easier to give in to the way we feel our impulses yeah well pretty much that's what's gone into my book justin because i i think it's the same for training actually lots of therapists will let you but what do we do here's here's the thing this is grief theory great how do we apply it you know how what do i do with my So this, this yeah. book, what I've done is said, you know, okay, what's the problem? Why does the problem occur? What can we do? Because actually it's the what can we do bit that I think is going to be, that's the bit that people are going to use and go, okay, so how do I deal with my child doesn't want to put the game down? Well, here's some yeah. strategies. That's what, with teachers and with parents, that's the first, that's the immediate question is, well, what do I do? And then, if they don't say it gently, it's very challenging. And with, I don't blame them. Like you want answers. And I really put it on myself, like, I better have answers. Not just, like, general, like I have to have specific answers. So I make sure that I am prepared. And I, I've so many, so many different scenarios and situations in Paris I've dealt with that have, that I have to be able to give, like, this is what you should do. This is what, this, you know, if, this, if you want this result and these are the values that we're going to hold, like, this, this, is not, this is the thing that you should do. Um, I can't just be like, I don't know. Like, I can't just explain the problem and leave it at that. They want, and teachers, especially like, well, what do we do about it? They don't want to just hear about trauma. They want to be like, okay, well, what do I need to do about it? So uh, Mercedes and I, I think are doing a pretty good job of very specific things. This is what we recommend. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. And, and whilst, whilst I send people to lots of other podcasts, uh, yours is the one where I'm saying, and I'm saying, actually, Thank I, don't, you. I don't need to tell you all of this now. I can come into the classroom, I can do blah, 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 blah. But here's something you can go and listen to. It's 45 minutes. It's just you. ladies talking. That's and what then- I want. That's what I want because I, I'm, people are, there's trauma-informed information out there and then people are packaging it and selling it. I want everyone to have it free. I don't care about making money. I don't care. I'm not selling a book. No, no disrespect to people who are, because I'm, I'm writing one, but I'm also starting to put one together. But this is um, everything in the book will be out there for free as well. I just like, I want people to make change. Uh, and, and I want people, I want their lives to get better. And I think I have answers for it. I think I have immediate answers that they can do. Um, and that's why it's just like, here, take it, take it. Um, the book, I only, I'll, I'll charge for the book because of how much time and effort goes into it. But for the podcast, even though there's a lot of effort and time, I, I don't know, I feel it's more fun for me. So I'll just put it out there and like, just 
do something with it. Spread the word. Like, I don't care about making money. I'm not repackaging this. Just do something with it, please. That's yeah. it. It would be so good if we could all talk the same kind of language as, as uh, yeah. I, I really love, I, actually, I really love the relationship you and Mercedes have got where you play off each other and, and so yeah. But there, there is something about, actually, you talk about the classroom, you talk about what these children have got to go through. And I think one of the things that happens in this country is there might be, I don't know whether people actually hear this, actually, in, well, I can't remember which episode it is, it's 10 or 11. And I think one of you says quite often the children on the way to school are hearing gunshots. Oh, yeah. I just went, shit. We're in the United Kingdom. We don't have that. Wow. That, that is, that is so, so much more different. Yeah, we have the homeless people. We have lots of the things you talked about, but we certainly don't have drive-by shootings. We don't have... There's, there's some scary, scary stuff that kids have witnessed um, in their neighbourhoods. I mean, just that's the, that's the minimum of, like, they know gunshot sounds. They know what a gunshot sounds like versus fireworks on the 4th of July over here or on New Year's Eve. They can say that that was a gunshot. Those are fireworks. Yeah. They've seen people go through horrible, horrible things. And they've experienced it too. And it's just on the way to school mm-hmm. or, or, or going home to school. It's just, I've never lived that life, luckily. No. Uh, but it's just, it, it's just complete shock when you hear these things. Yeah, it's, it was out of the podcast. That, that was one of the lines because I thought, actually, I mean, London is it's becoming more prevalent um there are there are places that do have weapons and so I'm fully aware of that so it's not that it doesn't happen it's just very rare um so it's it's almost like I worked with the Manchester Arena victims and we talked about what was what was happening for them and you know after after the event of the bombing how that was for them and you know lots of people in this country still don't quite get what these people had to go through and, and, and I, you know, it's like I've said to them, I, because I've been in the army, when they said, yeah, it was a low, it was a boom, blah, and I said, I know exactly what sound you're talking about because I've been on the tank firing ranges, I've been where we've, where we've set up explosions. I am aware of just how frightening that is. Even though I knew what we were doing, you know, we'd set something up to go bang at a certain time, it still frightened the bloody life out of me. So to have it unexpectedly, and to be in that place where there was no escape and so on, it's it's almost like listening to Bessel van der Kolk talking about 9-11. And, and yeah, it's it was really frightening for these young people, really frightening. And the, the stuff, the, the city I live in, is, is, um, it's, it's got its issues. Um, it's a lot, a lot of crime, a lot of violence, a lot of murder here. Um, and the fact that these children are walking through these things and co- and, but still coming to school, it just it blows my mind. Yeah. Like, the, and, and, the, and no one has any idea, and I don't expect them to. But I, I really think teachers that hopefully are listening to this assume your child has seen something horrific on the way to school, because if if you have that mindset, you're going to have a lot more compassion and empathy. Just make that assumption, and here, at least in this city, it, it's not it, it's not uncommon. It's not uncommon that your child is surviving something horrible. Yeah. Uh, in the home or outside the home, it's not uncommon. So just assume and be in the place where you're, because once teachers know that for a fact, once they hear it, they instantly go, oh, and they, they become a lot more compassionate. So just assume it off the bat, please. I, I think everybody should, there's almost something like everybody should get a medal, like a gold medal, just for getting through the gates. 
Yes. Never mind about I mean, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, they, but they, they still, like, it just, they still come to school. Yeah. I, I have, it just, it, the amount of, I, I just, it blows my mind. They still come to school. Yeah. Tenet, it's, um, it's, it's the best place, it's the safest place for them. Even though it's not perfect, it's the safest yeah. place for them. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, some children, quite often, it is their only safe place. You know, school's chaotic, school's chaotic, but actually it's safe because there's a lot of uh, uniformity and you, you can pretty much guess what's happening. You know, there is a lot of uh, scheduling, but, you know, for a lot of children, it's not a safe place either. So we've, we've got a lot more to do. Yes, we do. Mm. <laughs> Sadly, I have a lot of job security. Yeah. Which is like, I'm not even joking when I say it. It's sad. It's sad that I have job security because of how much pain there is out there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Actually, I think what, what I might do is I might just leave that with people and I'm going to, I'm going to definitely talk to you again, Justin. This is, tons of fun. this is exactly what I thought it would be. It's a lot of fun yeah. and it just felt natural. So thank you for, for asking me to come on. You're, you're welcome. So thank you. I didn't swear once. I know swearing's okay in your podcast. I didn't even swear once. Um, well, yes, because people are going to come to your podcast, and so there is. There it's there. a clean podcast, yeah. <laughs> I but I knew, I knew it would be okay that I set my bar. <laughs> yes, I've I've set my mark. I am. Yes, I have been told I am sweary, and I do I do curb it for the podcast. Um, but there is it's part, it's part of my lexicon. You know, I'm an uh, you know ex forces. That's just how it is. And sometimes it's a very expressive way of um, saying what I need to say. It really is. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> So thank you very much for being on the podcast. You're welcome. Thank you. This podcast was edited by Rory Kavanagh, an audio enthusiast and music producer.